0: good morning and welcome to our time of worship today tomorrow is thanksgiving of course and normally we would be having a service tomorrow morning to commemorate that to come together and give thanks to the lord for all of his goodness and provision for us through this past year but this being the times that it is and covid 19 and all of the restrictions council decided this year that we would not have a thanksgiving service so instead we will have more of a Thanksgiving theme running through the service today, including the songs and prayers and so on. So let's give thanks to the Lord as we hear his call to worship in the words of Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, make melody to him. With the harp of ten strings, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love be upon us, O Lord, even as we hope in you. And as we gather in the name of the Lord our God to worship him this morning, we do so knowing that he is present with us, he loves us, and he greets us. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We are called to confession this morning with words from Psalm 103. The psalmist declares, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Does he remove our transgressions from us? As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. In the strength of this assurance, then, let us confess not only our sin, but also our absolute need of Christ before the Lord our God this morning. Father, as we come to you this morning, we confess that we have not always been the people that you have called us to be and created us to be in Christ Jesus. We confess that we have indeed sinned to our own grievous fault in our thoughts, in our words, in those things that we have done, and also, Father, in the things that we have failed to do. We have been disobedient where you commanded, and, Father, we have been negligent where you have commanded. And so we look to you and we pray for your grace and mercy to work in our hearts. We pray, Father, that having trusted in Christ alone, we may now experience the cleansing that only his blood can impart. We pray that you, our God, would heal us, cleanse us, make us new, renew us through the blood of Jesus, that we may walk as he walked that we may live in obedience and faith, that, Father, we may love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, our faithful Savior. Amen. Again, the psalmist declares, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Be glad in the Lord, O righteous. Rejoice and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. As we continue our time of worship this morning, let's look to the Lord, our God, in prayer. Our God and Father, we come to you on this Thanksgiving weekend thankful most of all for you, for all that you are, as well as for all that you have done for your people in Christ Jesus. You, Lord, are our creator, redeemer, and king, our guide, and our strength. And we give thanks to you, Father, knowing that you are near to all who call upon you in truth. You created this wonderful world and the universe that surrounds it. All the earth bows down to you and the heavens declare your glory. For you are the provider and the sustainer of all life in all times and in all places. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. You crown the year with fullness and our lives overflow with your abundance. Even so, we are thankful for all these blessings that you give. We are thankful for food, for shelter, for clothing, for employment, health, and education. We are thankful for each other as well, for our families and for our homes, for the love that you have brought into our lives through the people with whom you have surrounded us. We are thankful, too, for our nation, for the province of Alberta and for the town of High River, and Lord, for the freedoms that we enjoy, especially the ability to worship you as commanded in your holy word. We are thankful for the leadership of our country, province, and city. You, O Lord, rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. Continue to guide us, continue to guide our leaders, Justin Trudeau, Jason Kenney, and Craig Snodgrass. And Father, work in them and through them and grant that we may live lives worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus in this society. We are thankful for community services, Lord, for community shelters, food banks, nursing homes, police and fire protection, churches, schools, and health care. We are thankful that we can look to those institutions in times when there is need. And Father, we are thankful for this church as well, and for the body of Christ across this city and around the world. We are thankful for all who serve in our church, the council, the teachers, the greeters, those who clean and maintain the property, those who provide music for our worship services, those who pray, those who need our prayers, and all those who attend. Keep us true and steadfast to your word, we pray, O Lord. Forgive us for those times when we have not been so. Forgive us, Lord, just as you have called us in your grace to forgive one another, and just as we, as evidence of that grace, are determined to do so. As often as we struggle with this, we pray that the light of your face would shine upon us, that you would give power and strength, that you would lead us not into temptation, but rather lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake, that we may proclaim your glory in all that we do and say, and even in the thoughts and meditations of our heart. As you, Lord, are the giver of every good gift, we would give you thanks in word and deed, not only today and on this Thanksgiving weekend, but always and forever. Receive our worship, we pray, in word and song. Receive that which is given here this morning as well in support of World Renew and that ministry. Bless and multiply our offering. Make it go far in your service that people may see the good which is done in your name. Turn to you and give you all glory, honor, and praise we ask this of you lord for you alone father son and holy spirit are the giver of all good things and you are worthy of all blessing honor and praise for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever we pray in the name of jesus amen Our scripture reading this morning is from the first chapter of the Revelation. I'll be reading verses 9 through verse 20. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Even though we are giving our service a bit of a Thanksgiving Day theme today, we are carrying on with the series of messages that we began just last week, part three of this same Jesus. a look at the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts and now the Book of Revelation. Uh, Look at those books, which focuses on the fact that This third book before us now is first and foremost the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that in itself is complex enough that it's going to take John 22 chapters to get from that opening statement, the revelation of Jesus Christ, to his concluding benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all. Having said that, though, the book begins with Jesus and the book ends ends with Jesus. And in a very real sense, everything that comes in the middle is in some way simply the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's really the whole point of this book. And to go looking for anything that is not a part of that is, in some sense, to miss that point. And I think maybe this is more important than ever. While studying for this sermon this past week, Pastor Matt and I ran across a video in which young adults from several countries around the world were asked the simple question, Who is Jesus to you? And and I wrote down some of their answers. One young man, the first in this video, said, Personally, I don't believe in Jesus. That's just a personal opinion. I don't know. And another said, I think Jesus is a religious figure. We all have our own beliefs. Some believe in Buddha, and others will believe in Jesus Christ. A young woman who probably thought of herself as a Christian said, Who is Jesus to me? He is a gift giver. Kind of like a divine Santa Claus. And another one went on to say, Jesus to me is probably... God. Then there was the man who said, I'm not religious, but I would say all those prophets, they have respect for me, Jesus, or any one of them. And a young student who was speaking from China said, I think Jesus is a man. And we have learned about him in our textbooks, but he is just a man. Even Groundwork is jumping in on this, hopefully with more insight than most of the comments above. Their ad in the bulletin today reads, Jesus Christ is, with a dash afterwards. If you want to know who Jesus is, join Groundwork as we begin our study of the fourth gospel with John chapter one, which is certainly a better place to start than some, but That same John, who wrote the Gospel of John, was the author through whom Jesus gave the revelation, and it too can provide an end to that statement. Jesus is, because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now John, of all people, had reason to think of Jesus in other terms. As we saw last Sunday morning, John had been a very close friend of Jesus, if not his best friend during the years that the Lord walked with his disciples in Galilee and Judea. John and Jesus were so close, as a matter of fact, that John never refers to himself by name. 19 of the 23 times that someone named John is mentioned in John's gospel, it's a reference to John the Baptist. And the other four times speak of the apostle Peter's father, who was also named John, but five times. Five times in this book, the Gospel of John, John refers to, quote, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And on those occasions, we know that he's speaking of himself. So John knew Jesus. John heard Jesus speak. John saw the miracles. He even opened his first epistle, First John, by writing, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard Jesus Christ. In other words, as his beloved friend and companion, John knew Jesus. In fact, his final reference to himself in John 21 20 reads, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper. John knew Jesus. But he knew him during that time when Jesus had emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He knew him during his time of humiliation. He knew him as he was then. And in Revelation chapter 1, he met him as he is now, Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Or as we read earlier, John wrote, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches. Then John turned to see the one who was speaking, and on turning he saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one in its strength. And time would fail if we tried to chase down every aspect of this vision. Jesus himself interpreted the lampstands and the stars, telling John in verse 20, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, they are the messengers, the ministers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The rest of the description that John gives us of his vision here in Revelation chapter 1 derives entirely from various Old Testament passages. The long robe and the golden sash hearken back to the official dress of the priests of Israel described in Exodus and Leviticus, taken together with various visions of the glory of God described by the prophets as the old covenant priests were responsible for tending the lamps that burned constantly day and night before the throne of God. We are told here in Revelation that Jesus, the great high priest of the order of Melchizedek, walks in the midst of the church, tending to his churches like those lamps that burn constantly before God's throne, tending to them like lamps in the temple of God. The descriptions of his hair, eyes, and feet all speak to his holiness and are connected to Daniel's vision of the throne and glory of God himself. For this particular high priest was chosen by the power of an indestructible life, as we read in Hebrews, and is, in fact, God the Son, our great high priest and also the ruler of the kings on earth. His voice, John says, is like the roar of many waters, the stars in his hand and the sword from his mouth and the brightness of his countenance. All of this has to do with his prophetic message. It has to do with Jesus' role as the prophet of God. So in this glorious vision, which John saw and wrote down for us here in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus, the Son of Man, which was his favorite title for himself, is established as the priest, the king, and the prophet, to which all other prophets, priests, and kings in Scripture merely point by faith. It's also worth a mention, as we noticed last week, that when John and Jesus saw each other, Jesus didn't stroll over and give John a noogie and say, Where you been, John? It's been years. Instead, John writes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And it's only then that Jesus touched him. Verses 17 and 18. He, Jesus, laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So then, priest king and prophet, but also by illusion, if if not by direct reference at this point, the true Lamb of God slain to take away the sin of the world, as John had written some years before, now risen, risen from the dead, ascended, and holding in his hand the keys of death and the grave. As it says in Romans chapter 6, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And there's something there that we need to grasp. Because every other person in the entire record of Holy Scripture that is described as having been raised from the dead, from the widow of Zarephath's son to Lazarus of Bethany and Eutychus of Troas, every one of them was raised to die again. They came out of their various deaths unchanged. They were raised up, but they were still mortal. But Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, did not come out of his tomb unchanged. That life that was restored to him at the resurrection was not simply a continuation of the life that he had before he was crucified. It was something altogether new. To borrow a phrase from Paul, that which was perishable put on imperishable and that which had been for a time at least mortal was raised up to immortality as Christ the firstborn from the dead was raised up from the tomb and seated at God's right hand to reign in the midst of his enemies ruling the nations with a rod of iron until the last enemy death has been subjected beneath his feet and as the writers to the Hebrews exhorted we are to look to Jesus now the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is, is right now, today, this very moment seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the question is not really who is Jesus to you, I mean, I suppose we can ask that question, and I suppose that there may be as many different answers to that question as there are people to answer it, but the real question, the question that matters is simply, who is Jesus? And again, last week I referred to a song that we sing occasionally, and it's really a prayer, show us Christ. O God, reveal your glory through the preaching of the word. Show us Christ. Show us Christ, not as we might wish him to be, especially not that. And not even as he was. It would be a terrible error to conflate Jesus' past state of humiliation with his current state of glorification. No. Show us Christ, we must pray. Show us Christ as he is now, seated at the right hand of God's throne and walking in the midst of the church, the first and the last, the living one, he who died and yet is alive forevermore, holding in his hand the keys of death and Hades. And this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Man. Now what does it matter, we might ask? Well, I don't want to go too far beyond the text, but how many times did Jesus during those days when he walked with his disciples say to them, fear not, or don't be afraid, or something along those lines. It was a word that they heard over and over and over again from their teacher and friend. They heard it so often, and yet John in his gospel Chapter 20, verse 19, tells us that on the evening of the very day when Jesus rose from the dead, his disciples had gathered in a room, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. It is undoubtedly true that after their encounter with the risen Christ, that particular fear fell away. We see Peter and John and James all becoming very bold in their relationship with the Jewish people. But when Jesus laid his hand upon John in Revelation chapter 1 and all through this book, the Lord of heaven and earth is saying, not only to the seven churches to whom it was originally addressed, but to all of his people everywhere in all times and all places, fear not. You don't need to be afraid. There is nothing at all in this world of which you ought to be afraid. And that's why this is so important for us in these days in which we live, when things seem unsettled, when we don't know where society is going with this whole pandemic and our response to it when there are people in the government who are saying, be afraid, and there are others who are saying, no, don't. Over all of that, there is Christ saying, fear not. That's not to minimize this virus or anything of the kind. It's not to minima- minimize the wars and rumors of wars and the violence that's going on just to the south of us. It's not to minimize anything. But one of the songs that we've used lately puts it so well. They sing, Be still and remember. The worst that can come but shortens our journey and hastens us home. Speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul said it even better. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The same Jesus who said to John, and I believe to all of us through the revelation, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Even so, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May we pray. Father, give us ears to hear your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, speaking to us by the Holy Spirit through the Word. Give us ears to hear him say to us, Fear not. And give us hearts to be doers of the Word, that in all confidence, with all boldness, we may go out into this world And, Father, may proclaim by word and deed the gospel of the kingdom of our Savior, Jesus Christ, looking forward to and hastening the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your honor and glory, our God and our Father. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. As we have gathered in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are now sent on our way in his name as well and with his blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him, and all God's people said, Amen.